Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Well, welcome in, everybody. Latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I am the somewhat capable, somewhat rested host. I've, I've recovered somewhat from the college basketball season, now getting ready for the NFL draft coming up, by the way, soon. TJ Reeves, he is the owner, the operator, the purveyor, the man you read all the time through SportsMediaWatch.com. John Lewis, a.k.a. Paulson, back for another edition of the show as we head on uh, in, in this uh, merry month of April. Easter done, Passover for those that celebrate done, um, the USFL that has kicked off, the NBA playoffs that have started. We have got much to cover, discuss here on the show. John, as always, how are things? Oh, you know, hectic as usual. So uh, that's what happens at the end of the semester, right? Yes. And, and do I understand this correctly? Final exam coming uh, soon. So the stress level escalates times two or times three, if that's the case, yeah, right? Well, more for the students than for me, though I do have to grade these things. <laughs> do we do them only in multiple choice or do we have essay form? That's what we Oh, want. yeah. Well, if you're using Canvas, word to the wise, don't bother using any uh, fill-in-the-blank questions. It's the most ridiculous thing. If the answer is just slightly off, just in case, right? Like they use a lowercase and I put the answer in an uppercase, Canvas says it's wrong. So don't ever use that functionality with that. Sounds like first world frustrations for the man trying to grade papers in addition to doing this yeah. media watch thing <laughs> on the website. Plenty to talk about, a lot to get to. The NBA uh, playoffs, as I mentioned, are underway. The ratings are up. The USFL did kick off despite a hellacious weather weekend in the greater Birmingham, Alabama, and in the state of Alabama area uh, that delayed things, delayed things on Sunday and delayed the Sunday night uh, USFL game to Monday night that involved the Tampa Bay Bandits uh, and their resurgence. Again, a full disclosure, I do this show in the Tampa Bay area, and can I confess to you, I can't tell you, even after they played a game, a single player on that team because they do no marketing in any of these local markets, whether you're talking about New Jersey, Houston, Pittsburgh. We, John, we don't know who the players are, but they are playing games and they're showing them on TV, so we'll talk about the USFL in a bit. It did get underway. Um, so we got, we've got a lot to cover here on the show. Why don't we begin with the NBA? When last you and I talked and released the podcast, the play-in games were being played to set the field for a lack of a better metaphor, uh, for the, uh, eight team Eastern conference, eight team Western conference playoffs. So that all sorted out last week. And then on the weekend, the playoffs got underway and the headline would be, would it not ratings up for the NBA yep. playoffs elaborate more? 
Well, you know, uh, so it was a spectacular Sunday for the NBA in the uh, in the Nielsen's because you got the uh, incredible game, Boston and Brooklyn, a lot of drama, a lot of intrigue, a lot of uh, middle fingers and all of that. And uh, <laughs> 6.89 million viewers. Right. So when we when I say 6.9 million viewers, you might say, oh, that's pretty good. But for the NBA, that is the largest opening round audience since NBC's final opening round game 20 years ago, which was Portland and the Lakers. Wow. Yeah. Say that again. That's the largest opening weekend in how many years? 20, 20 years since NBC. Wow. And that was that 5.30 PM window that NBC used to uh, to put the primary games in. So uh, most watched opening weekend playoff game in 20 years, uh, Brooklyn and, and the Celtics and helped the NBA to its most watched opening weekend of the playoffs in 11 years. And this is with LeBron and the Lakers not in the playoffs. And it's also not keyed by Golden State. Now, this is a very interesting thing because LeBron's not there. We've seen that before. 2019, LeBron wasn't there. And the Warriors were the only thing keeping the NBA's ratings afloat. This year, the Warriors game was the third most watched game of the weekend. Not only that, the Warriors game was less of a draw than the Warriors' last playoff opener in that 2019 playoffs. So in the 2019 playoffs, without out of home, the Warriors opened with 4.8 million viewers against the Clippers in the same Saturday night window that they were in this year, 4.5 million this time. So you can't credit LeBron. You can't credit Golden State, which to me for the NBA is a huge win because the NBA has been far too dependent on LeBron James and Golden State for a very long time. You want to have Golden State there. And of course, I'm sure the league would love to have LeBron there. But you need to be able to live without just two. Very true. And the Northeast in particular has got to be strong with a team, whether that's Boston, New York, whoever it is. got to have somebody. And how much do we attribute that to the fact that it was Boston against Brooklyn? And I believe I read on your site that the finish to that game won that was won by Jason Tatum's last second shot had in the neighborhood of like 9 million watching in the final segment of the game. That's a tremendous number for a, for a first round NBA, even a, even a non NBA finals playoff game. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's a tremendous number to have 9 million watching. Do we attribute that to the Boston, New York major markets and the rivalry helping that? Well, one, I will say, as you bring that point up, that game pretty much had the exact same audience as Bucks Nets game seven last year you know, in the second round, uh, which was the most watched game of the playoffs outside of the finals. So that tells you, I mean, this is the opening weekend, but, you know, I don't want to overstate the importance of having those Northeastern markets because we had the exact same Boston Brooklyn series last year and game one was 3.8 million. Granted that number has since been revised. I don't know what the uh, revised figure is, but it was 3.8 million on a Saturday night. So it's not just, oh, Boston and Brooklyn are good. It's Boston and Brooklyn plus the expectation of a high quality series. The fact that Boston last year was not very good. Uh, No one thought they'd be competitive this year. They're very good. They've been surging. And uh, obviously the drama with Kyrie last year, you did not really have that because even though the fans were back, they weren't back the way that they are now. So all of that is to say that there are particular conditions this year that made that number as good as it was. So one thing I want to point out, and I think it's very important in our discussion of sports TV ratings, especially in this era 
of constant press releases about how good the ratings are. We have a very difficult dynamic here. We have the Clay Travis element that, you know, thrives on, oh, their ratings are low. Look how low their ratings are. And then we have the PR element where every single rating is the most spectacular thing ever. (laughs) And trying to find the truth is very difficult. What's the cliche? Truth is always somewhere where in the middle, right? Of those two extremes, right? And the other cliche is there are lies, damned lies, and statistics, right? Very good. Quote yourself some Mark Twain, why don't you, on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. I like that. Go ahead. Well, you know, the reality is that the ratings are telling two completely different stories. And that's been the case for a long time. It was the case of the Super Bowl, and it's the case here. Because that game, Brooklyn-Boston, was nearly 7 million viewers, the most watched NBA opening round playoff game in 20 years. Huge number. But that 3.1 rating really isn't that good. Honestly, for that window, the Sunday of opening weekend, you go back to 2018, ABC had a 3.8 rating in that window for Pacers Cavs and 5.9 million viewers, right? Uh, Blazers Warriors in 2017 with a 3.7. You know, Pistons Cavs in 2016 with a 3.4. A 3.1, honestly, is on the lower end of that window since ABC has been carrying the NBA. That however, however, they would care more about the audience, the actual oh, yeah. audience, the ratings, yes, but the actual audience they care about more. But I understand your point. Yes. But but the thing is, though, and I get it, I get why the networks don't even include the household rating in their press releases anymore. Right. But to me, the household rating is like adjusting for inflation. Nielsen keeps pouring all this extra stuff into the viewership all the time. And Of course, the numbers are going to keep rising if you have additional data now than you were putting in a few years ago. So to me, I'm not saying it wasn't a great number. It was a great number. But out of home is a factor. And beyond out of home, there was a clear and obvious Easter factor. So Easter forever was a bad ratings day for sports. When I used to put together my master's charts, I'd put Mm -hmm. an asterisk next to the years it was on Easter because everybody knew on Easter you had lower viewing levels. But in the era of out of home, this is a first. Everything on Easter Sunday was really strong. NASCAR was better than it usually is. And it was their first time on Easter, obviously, in a long time. The RBC heritage in golf was a 20-year high. So that 3.1 rating for Net Celtics St. Peter's, Kentucky in the tournament had the exact same rating, right? And that was a big upset, St. Peter's beating Kentucky, mm-hmm. exact same 3.1 rating. And that was, if I, uh, let me see here, it was 5.46 million viewers. So, you know, uh, on just a regular Friday in March, or I think it was a Thursday in March, actually, a 3.1 rating equates to m- more than a million fewer viewers than it got on Easter. So there. I'm not saying the numbers aren't impressive. They are extremely impressive. And it is sorely needed for the NBA after all of these years of hyperventilating about its ratings. And the fact that they were able to get such good ratings without LeBron or really even the Warriors being the key factor is huge for the league. It's just huge for the league's growth. But we don't want to go too far with it because ultimately there is a level of, I wouldn't necessarily call it inflation, but we're not dealing with apples to oranges here. And if you look at the metric that does not include all of this extra data, if you just look at the rating, the rating is frankly not that impressive. Understood. The viewership is great, but the rating is, it's like with the Super Bowl, which was 100 million viewers on linear TV, an incredible number. 
but a 36 rating, which for the Super Bowl, that would be a five alarm fire a few years ago, a 36 rating for the Super Bowl. It's just the way that it is now where the rating and the viewership are telling completely different stories about how strong these events are historically. Good enough. Again, John's done a great job of explaining that. And you read his site on sportsmediawatch.com. He explains more of it. Uh, But again, the audience is the audience. I'm curious, too, while we're on this subject, we'll get to the USFL in a second, too. And their ratings relative did well for the debut. And that's not unexpected. But you mentioned the NASCAR race, which was on the dirt track of Bristol, Tennessee. Full disclosure, I lived in East Tennessee a couple of different times in my childhood, not in Bristol, not in the northeast part of the state, but in the southeast corner of the state near Atlanta, Georgia. So, I mean, that is the cradle of NASCAR and they had the dirt track rolling to what do we attribute this? Because a lot of times, correct me if I'm wrong, NASCAR would not run a race on Easter. They do not run a race on Mother's Day. Always take Mother's Day off. They don't run a race a lot of times on Easter. So was it the bonus that it was on Easter in in a later time window that you think helped that? Or what's your theory, John? Well, NASCAR, you know, obviously had very high hopes for the dirt race from the beginning, right? You know, it's just, it's a gimmick. And when, you know, I'm, it's kind of similar to what they did with the LA Coliseum. They're trying mm-hmm. to attract viewers with basically their version of the NHL outdoor game. So last year, it didn't work out. The rain, you know, ended up on a Monday, but the numbers were actually pretty good for a Monday. I mean, over 3 million viewers, but, you know, nothing like you could get on the regular Sunday. So putting it on Easter Sunday, putting it in prime time, you know, NASCAR is obviously the sport most identified with the Christian religion. And so for them, being on Easter was always kind of something they didn't want to do. So they kind of split the difference this year. And to try to head off people who'd be offended by them racing on Easter, FS1 actually carried a church service that they had before the race, right? I did uh, not. This I did not know. Yeah, but they actually I, did. I did know this. Uh, you'll find this just fascinating as a, as a sub note before you even go on with that. There is a very popular Christian music artist named Chris Tomlin. Chris Tomlin performed a concert here in the Tampa Bay area where I am, I believe, on Saturday. I think that is the case. And then Sunday night, he was the music at the service I guess that you're talking about prior to the race. And that is a very popular guy. So it's interesting that we're piggybacking maybe off of what you're saying, cater to the evangelical Christian conservative audience that likes this, put a little Easter service on, put a little Christian music on, and then have the good old boys trade some paint John Lewis on, uh, on the race. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, it's interesting because all those years when they would skip Easter, it was a smart ratings decision because again, Easter was not a good day for ratings. But I think after what we saw this week, you're going to see people seeking out Easter Sunday mm. because that what the, the level of viewership that you got for ratings that would ordinarily not equal that kind of number, Easter might become like, you know, maybe a kind of a springtime Thanksgiving, a springtime Christmas you know, it might have that kind of an impact. So I think uh, very interesting stuff, very interesting doings in the ratings this weekend. Dare I say a ratings resurrection on Uh Resurrection Sunday. I'm just playing on words here on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. All right, let's get into the USFL, the United States Football League, rebranded, debuted, 
Uh, we have talked about on this podcast, there is no pretense here of what is, I mean, I saw people on social media saying, oh, there's no crowd at the game. Well, there were a couple of factors. One, they had hellacious tornado warning weather. Uh, one of the games was delayed on Sunday. They eventually postponed the Sunday night game because of the threats of tornadoes and heavy thunderstorms in Alabama, not uncommon in April oh, yeah. and early May in Alabama and in the South. Uh, but this, there is no pretense that this is fans in the stands or marketing to any of these cities. All of these games are being played in Birmingham. It is purely a TV product to get mm -hmm. people to watch. Now, some people did watch. Elaborate on that, John, and how it debuted. Well, the USFL did better than I thought. My expectations were at the floor. My expectations, as I think about it, were probably unrealistically low. For me, I was like, if they can even combine for 1.5 million, they'll be lucky. Well, they combined for 3 million. Uh, I probably was a little bit biased by the fact that for me, the USFL has no, no, no resonance whatsoever. This is well before my time and just not something that I had the sense there was a ton of interest in. But, you know, 3.07 million is right there with the XFL's opener, right there with the AAF's opener. But, you know, it's two networks as well. So there is, you know, that caveat. Uh, I saw the footnote, too. It was the first time for a broadcast football game on network TV since Super Bowl one, that Super Bowl one, the Packers and the Chiefs of uh, NBC and CBS simulcasting it, the two networks over the air networks had simulcast the same game. So it obviously helped uh, with the bonus. But to your to your point, I mean, it's football and even in those other two leagues, the Alliance of American Football two years ago, the XFL uh, 2020, well, actually Alliance of American Football 2019, yeah. XFL 2020, they did very well the first week, dropped off some the second week and then off the cliff by the third week. Are we speculating that that may repeat here again for Fox and NBC and their networks of the U.S. Football League here on the reboot on the reboot? The TV schedule is very interesting for this because you're talking about every single week, it's wild and wacky. You don't really know. It's not, you know, it's not, okay, I know I'm going to tune in at three o'clock and I'm going to see a game on NBC. I have no idea where these games are going to air. Um, you know, so realistically, uh, next week, USA Network has a Friday night game. Are people going to know to go to USA Network for a Friday night game? Then next Saturday, it's Fox at noon, FS1 at seven, NBC at three. The week after that, it's Fox at four and then eight. And then on the Sunday, USA at 2.30 and Peacock at eight. The week after that, FS1 on Friday night, USA mm. 2.30 Saturday. I mean, this is madness. You don't have any consistency. You're just plugging games in. Uh, and uh, you, they, I don't know that I, I do expect, obviously, the ratings to decline just like they have before. Uh, there are some prime time slots down the road. And in fact, there is a post preakness window. So this is something the NHL used to get on NBC all the time was that the horse racing lead in uh, after the preakness on May 21st, NBC has the USFL at 7:30. Will that make a difference? It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what kind of number that gets. Um, but you know, the uh, hockey game would traditionally do pretty well and it's a playoff game. Yeah. So well, that, this is a regular season exactly. USFL game. Well, the hockey point. game would always do really well after the derby. And the most watched hockey mm -hmm. game uh, in the bubble in 20 was the one after the Derby, even though it was Labor Day weekend. Uh, so whenever they'd be after the Derby, that was always a big deal. The Preakness last year, they did pretty well for the opening game of the playoffs in that window. USFL, 
it'll be interesting because Sunday's USFL game on NBC, even with weather delays, did a lot better than the NHL did in that exact same window a year earlier. That exact same window a year earlier, NBC carried the Can NHL. we just chalk this up to live football, that if there is live college or professional football on network TV, it's going to garner a little bit better audience than most anything else. Do we just chalk it up to that? I'm not saying massive audience, but a little bit better. Well, it'll do better than the NHL regular season. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, how did NBC do for the Arena Football League? For a little while, they did pretty well. The Arena Football League for a little while, when they lost the NBA, they were, you know, and then that didn't last either. Um, I, I, these types of things don't have the ability to last long-term. The USFL will not be here in 10 years. I'm comfortable saying that. Are will you they comfortable be here next that? year? I, yeah, mean, that's, exactly. I mean, the odds are the previous two, uh, both for various reasons, financial, a big part of it, didn't even last the first season. I think there's oh, a yeah. debate about whether the USFL plays next year or not. Oh, yeah, I, I do too. But I mean, if we're talking long-term, there's just no way that it would last 10 years, even in the best case scenario, right? We're not going to be coming back around in 2032 talking about the USFL going into its next rights deal, right? <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's nice for the time being, um, you know, I, I just feel like you can't just put together a bunch of teams, a bunch of cities, and then just pretend it's all real. You just, I, I just feel like not, not in this environment anyway. They're holding on to the nostalgia again for the older audience. And again, I'm older than yeah. you that remembers those games in the eighties that did very yeah. well. Uh, I was, I was talking with a neighbor of mine the other night uh, and it was, and it was before the Monday night game that he was interested to watch the bandits on Monday night, because he said, I used to go to the bandits games. And I said, yes, I was a teenager going to the Tampa Bay bandits games, Steve Spurrier, the coach, the late John Reeves, no relation spells it differently. The late John Reeves was the ex Florida Gator quarterback. He was the exciting quarterback of the Tampa Bay bandits, USFL team. Um, they had some exciting players, and John, I'm not exaggerating. They had 55 or 60,000 people at the Bandits games, and they weren't the only ones. In in a lot of other markets, whether it was the Silver Dome for the Michigan Panthers, um, whether it was the Philadelphia Stars and the Baltimore Stars, they would have 40, 50, 60,000 people at these games. Even the Oakland Invaders, thank you. Uh, playing in Oakland's uh, Alameda County Coliseum, where the Raiders played, they would have 40. 45,000 come to the games. This is not that there's not going to be attendance. They're all in Birmingham, Alabama. I do know from a couple of people that I have talked to, the goal would be if they survive year two or year three, to try to find ownership in a market or in some of these markets. Do you want to buy the team and then bring the team in on a stadium deal in your market and market to the public, to the fans and merchandise and blah, blah, blah. And, try to do that. That's one of their pie in the sky goals. I just don't know if it survives. Hey, one other note, I didn't get to hear a lot of the broadcasters. I know Kurt Menefee and Joel Klatt were doing the game on Fox, the first simulcast game. I don't know who did the NBC. Forgive me. You may know who did the NBC simulcast game. I do know Chris Collinsworth's son, Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett were doing one of the NBC games on Sunday I did hear a little of that. Just a quick remark again. 
that when you hear Jack Collinsworth, he sounds and his delivery is like his dad. It's yeah. like you're hearing Chris, but he's calling the game. So there you go on that. John, maybe you have the info on who did the NBC game. I'm not even sure for, for Saturday, but I didn't get to hear a lot of the broadcasters. Again, I'm a broadcaster. I'm interested in that some of the time. There you go from the USFL. Well, uh, it was actually Menifee and Clatt. Fox did both. It was uh, the Fox feed on both. So, so Fox same feed, announcers, even though it was on NBC. Yeah, and that's, same graphics. That's same interesting. Graphics. How about that? Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, so, you know, as far as uh, the announcers go, I caught a little bit of Jason Garrett. The way it worked was NBC did the pregame show and Fox did the actual game. So I caught a little bit of Jason Garrett. Uh, and, you know, he had an interesting, an interesting energy to him. Uh, I know Brian Curtis kind of made a, a, a comment about uh, how he wasn't much worse than Drew Brees. Um, and, you know, honestly, my exposure to Jason Garrett over the weekend was like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. But in that 30 seconds, uh, he showed me more personality than he did during his entire time at the Dallas Cowboys. Right. So, you know, to me, I thought, hey, yeah, not too bad. Um, and if this is something he wants to do and he can develop it, use the uh, USFL as a teaching ground. Right. All right, fun story for the sportsmediawatch.com audience. I know I know that I'm full of all these stories. A lot of people think I'm full of it, but I'm full of all these stories. True story in my Tampa Bay Buccaneer broadcast exploits. I swear to you, this is exactly what happened. Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing a game in New Orleans against their NFC South rival, the New Orleans Saints. Jason Garrett, recently retired player for the Dallas Cowboys in 2004, is getting an opportunity, it's later in the season, to broadcast the game on one of the Fox broadcast teams as the analyst. They probably, you know, had six or seven teams to do games that weekend, five or six or six or seven. He was probably the sixth or the seventh team to do the game. I kid you not, the Bucs had injury concerns going into the game at quarterback. And in the first quarter of the game, um, if I recall correctly, let me get my chronology correct. Brian Greasy was injured in the first quarter of the game. So as it turns out, the Bucs were down to like one and a half quarterbacks, including a practice squad guy that hadn't played. I kid you not that John Gruden, after the game, sought out Jason Garrett and said, can you be in Tampa tomorrow to work out for us? And he was there Monday, the day after he broadcasted a Saints-Buccaneer game, a Buccaneer loss, and the Buccaneers signed him to the active roster, John Lewis, for a couple of games to have him as an emergency quarterback. After he had broadcasted a Buccaneer game in 2004, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the Jason Garrett broadcasting truth, and you got it right here on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. How about that? Yeah, well, you got to take your opportunities where you can get them, right? And by uh, the way, the check playing in the NFL is better than the broadcasting check. Well, I said anymore. That, now not it's anymore. now it's escalating, but at that time it was definitely better right. on the on the check from uh, from game to game. So the USFL uh, does uh, does rock along. Um, all right, I think we are ready to get to it and have some fun. Speaking of the uh, of the football broadcasting, that's going to tie into our first subject with this: love it or leave it. Speaking of NBC, they did officially announce on Tuesday, Mike Tirico, no surprise, Chris Collinsworth, the Sunday night broadcasters, and the word had leaked that Melissa Stark will be the Sunday night third sideline uh, broadcaster, the sideline reporter 
reprising her role from Monday Night Football back 20 years ago or so. And Melissa has also been doing work with the NFL and the NFL Network and doing some sideline work here and there on NFL Network broadcasts. John, love it or leave it here on the addition of Melissa Stark essentially in the old Michelle Tafoya role for Sunday Night Football NBC. What are your thoughts? Well, my first thought is, you know, what did Catherine Tappen do to anybody, right? Because he was pretty plainly the heir apparent. This is his, you know, ESPN hasn't done a vote of no confidence like this. You know, I mean, are you kidding? So I was surprised that, I mean, there must be more to that because she was the heir apparent. It was, it wasn't even subtle. We all knew that she was going to get that job. And so I don't even know where she goes after this because it kind of feels like the type of thing that's difficult to come back from going from having that kind of a job and being the secondary sideline reporter on the Super Bowl to mm-hmm. NBC saying, we're going to go in another direction to another network, someone who's never even worked for us before. It's a, it's a big vote of, you know, I wouldn't say no confidence just because I don't know what's going on there. And but, let me and let me interject. She's got a big hockey background. They hired her originally to be a hockey studio host and personality all the way through their Stanley Cup playoff coverage, et cetera. It could be, I don't know. I don't know her. I don't know the situation that maybe she tried this and she was letting them know, I would rather do hockey. I would rather do something else. That's possible. Again, we're just speculating. I don't know, but clearly it's a bold move by NBC to bring Melissa Stark in. You know, and that's a good point. Maybe she didn't want to do it. Maybe she said, I don't want to do this. And in that case, more power to her. TNT has nothing but men in their NHL studio. They could probably Mm -hmm. use a female presence. You can't really get away with anymore having men exclusively in your, you know, employ. So there's a role at TNT. I'm sure if she would want it, uh, that is something that they probably pretty desperately need to, uh, to take care of there. We will know the answer soon enough on whether Catherine Tappan is still with NBC doing other things or not, or whether she's somewhere well, else. What else is here to do? Right. What, the, yeah, the USFL? Doing, right. Unless she's doing hockey. I don't think she's going to uh, Vince McMahon's wrestling that's on uh, the USA oh. Network. Probably not on that. Another subject. Love it or leave it. Sticking with the football. Very interesting this week. And I don't want to go down a political rabbit hole completely, unless John has some interest in doing this. After all, this is the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Uh, There was an announcement this week by Mel Kuyper, who is synonymous with the NFL draft coverage on ESPN. I mean, you say that name, as I just did, and the first thing you think of is the NFL draft when you hear Mel Kuyper Jr., Uh, And it was announced that he will not be part of the on-site coverage in Las Vegas for the upcoming NFL draft coverage for the three nights uh, and and the the day on Saturday, uh, April 28th, 29th, and and 30th, the three-day festival, essentially, for the NFL draft. So Mel Kuyper has announced, and he has made it very uh, clear that it's because of his non-vaccination status that ESPN has got a hard and fast policy that he can't be part of their coverage. All right, John, uh, your thoughts on this, on uh, love the decision or uh, or leave it alone here, and shouldn't they have 32 years he's been doing this for ESPN, and he will not be part. I anticipate, I don't know this to be the case, he'll be part of the coverage somehow remotely, but he's not going to be there. That's been announced. What are your thoughts? Well, my thought is that uh, at some point, uh, unvaccinated people are going to have to be allowed to 
do their jobs because the whole point of the vaccine mandates was to pressure unvaccinated people into getting vaccinated. Well, a lot of them still didn't get vaccinated anyway, right? And at this point, I guess the real question is, are we still operating under the assumption that an unvaccinated person poses a grave threat to public health? I don't really think we are. I think Kyrie Irving just scored like 40 points in a crowded right. stadium of 20,000 people the other day. And the only story was him giving people the finger. It wasn't COVID. Uh, so ESPN uh, is, in, is inevitably going to have to drop this vaccine uh, mandate. Uh, they're going to have to, um, you know, and uh, again, I, I mean, when it comes down to it, you're not going to pressure people into injecting themselves with something that they don't trust. You're just not going to, even if they're wrong, even if they're misguided, you're not going to, that's like such the, the very idea of trying to pressure someone into that, they're going to retrench and say, I'm not going to do it. Sometimes they'll say, I'm not going to do it just because you're trying to force them to do it. And let and me give you an example of exactly what you're saying. The NFL itself was very heavy handed. That's the phrase that I will use because they said to all NFL media and all NFL broadcasters, including the guy you're talking to on this podcast, if you are working the NFL this year in a press box, in any capacity, if you're going to come in the stadium, you don't have a choice. You don't have an option. You don't have an exception, even a medical exception. You're either going to take the vaccine or you're not. And I had to make that decision along with everybody else. And I obviously work the NFL season. So you know what my decision was, John, on that. So I just thought I would interject that. Uh, just one more time, though, here again, that he is synonymous with their draft coverage. And there has been some blowback. And, and Mel was even on an interview that I heard on uh, on Tuesday saying there is a real medical concern for me that I'm not going to get into it where my doctor has advised me this is not something that you need to try to do so well, where's the middle ground if it's if it's Mel right. Kuyper in the draft I'm with you on that look the reality is that uh, you know we're, we're both vaccinated uh, mm -hmm. you know um, the fact is that anytime you're trying to force people to do something you're going to meet resistance and either you're going to continue to say, well, the beatings will continue until morale improves, or you're <laughs> just going to say, okay, we've reached a point where clearly we don't view unvaccinated people as a threat that we viewed them as to begin with. So even if we are angry that they didn't do what we wanted them to do, let's just, you know, I mean, look, here's my thought. The moment unvaccinated people were allowed into these arenas, that was it. Right. I mean, that, that's the reason why Kyrie is playing. Kyrie is playing because unvaccinated people are in the arena. At that point, barring people from work, I mean, there's going to be unvaccinated people at the NFL draft. Right. Am I correct? By so, the thousands, I mean, by the tens it, of thousands, right. probably. It, it just doesn't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't make any logical and by, sense. And to by me. the way, Kyrie uh, made a checkmate move when he bought a ticket to sit in the front row yeah. of the Brooklyn Nets game and, yeah. and said, this is how ridiculous this whole situation is, that you're letting me buy a ticket to be in the front row, but I right. can't play uh, in the game. I think, yeah. I think most people understand if there is a public health threat, if you can, if you can claim a compelling public health threat from unvaccinated people being present at these games then fine. But if in the absence of that, then all this is, is just trying to, you know, kind of 
twist people's arms. And one, it's failed. The attempt to twist people's arms failed. People, I mean, there were many people who did get vaccinated who wouldn't have gotten vaccinated originally. Mm -hmm. But the goal of getting to like, I think the number was what, 90% that Biden wanted, that effort failed. It failed pretty badly. So, you know, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people really upset about that. Uh, who kind of feel like, well, I'm not going to give up on trying to make sure people do this. But, you know, at a certain point, if there is no compelling public health threat, if there is no compelling public health rationale, if you want to continue to do stuff like this, then at the very least, you have to provide that compelling public health rationale that says that Mel Kuyper would be endangering other people. But if you're sending the entirety of ESPN's NFL crew into an arena that has all of these unvaccinated people in it, then, you know, what are we doing here? Well, and we should point out logistically, too, the NFL draft has now gone to an open air concept in these different cities now where you're not even in an enclosed thing. Remember, they did it for so many years at like Radio City Music Hall. You were in an enclosed thing or whatever. Um, so again, we could go on for another 10 minutes, you know, who I've been thinking of about this. And while you and I were talking, mm-hmm. Allison Williams, who I don't yeah. really know, I know of her, but she basically lost her ESPN job taking the stand that for medical reasons and for my own beliefs here on, I don't know that this is the best idea to put this in my body. She chose I am not going to take the vaccine and lost her ESPN sideline and studio job for college football and college basketball because of it. And I don't know if she's going to be welcomed back in the fall, if they're going to relax that policy. This is an early indication in April though, with Mel Kiper here, if they're doing it with him, you just, you just wonder, you know, when it comes down to it, look, uh, I personally, I don't see the rationale, but you know, everyone has choices to make. Mm-hmm. So look, I mean, if Mel wanted to cover it, he could get vaccinated. He chose That's not true. to, so he's going to be home. ESPN made their choice. Mel's making his choice. No one's being forced to do anything. And, you know, I guess you just got to be an adult here and live with the consequences of what you do. As far as Allison Williams goes, yes. you know, I'm sure that that's something that was difficult for her. But again, you, you, you make the choice that you have to make in life. And she made that choice and she's probably not going to get back in. You know, this is not a very easy industry to get back into, but she didn't trust it and didn't want to do it. And so there you go. I don't really think there's any rhyme or reason to any of this at this point, um, because ultimately there, there are other situations where uh, like Matisse Teibel, I think would have been able to play in Toronto before, and but they changed the rule and it's like, you know what, whatever, look, everyone's got their own choice to make in life. And I, I can't put, I can't deal with this, you know, I can't enough is enough already. And uh, that's all I got to say. We move, we move on on that. All right. We've got one more love it or leave it. You were loving yourself some gymnastics real quick. In fact, it, it was on network TV. Give me, give me a little more about this because usually outside the Olympics, nobody's talking about gymnastics, anything, John Lewis. Well, you know, college gymnastics is uh, getting all the nice publicity. Uh, elite gymnastics is unpleasant. Let's be real. Elite gymnastics is abusive, high pressure, high stakes, and Tim Daggett on the announcing, which is also kind of difficult to deal with, right? (laughs) So, you know, uh, elite gymnastics is, I I personally, since the Magnificent Seven, I can't stand it. College gymnastics is very different. It's 
you don't get the sense that people are there against their will being browbeaten constantly or abused in any way. It's, it's not. And they're, you know, the other thing too, they're adults, which means they're not 50 pounds, right? Like it's mm-hmm. unnerving sometimes when, especially you think back to those, the Chinese gymnasts in 2008 and like, is this healthy? Should, should this be going on? Mm-hmm. You don't have that with that. But what Devor Myers wrote is that ultimately college gymnastics has a lot of the same problems. It might be a little bit less uh, off-putting than elite, but you know, I mean, they have their issues and certainly the horrible Larry Nasser thing happened at Michigan state as well as the yep. USA gymnastics. Yep. But with all of that as a backdrop, there is certainly an element of the discussion of college gymnastics being something that's on the rise. Uh, and ABC on Sunday, it's most watched uh, college gymnastics telecast on any network in 11 years since CBS aired the national championship in 2011. Uh, the interesting thing about that number, it was up from last year when it when the sport made its return to ABC. It was up from last year despite being in an earlier window. They moved it from 3 p.m. last year to 1 p.m. this year to accommodate the NHL. And then they grew their audience and beat the NHL as well. Wow. So they beat that NHL lead out. The, the, the NHL game that moved them up two hours, they outdrew that. How about that? Yeah. So their they, niche audience better than the hockey niche audience on ABC. There's a real audience for this. Uh, one, it's, you know, when we talk about women's sports, we talk about ratings. You got to have that collegiate tie because the WNBA never had that. So let me interject one thing. The SEC network, when they came on board a few years ago, began to religiously show SEC gymnastics on like Friday night. How much do you think that's kind of cultivated at least a little of the fan base and familiarity from people that are seeing it, at least at the SEC schools where it is very competitive. Everything in the SEC is very competitive. How much do you think that helps has helped? You know, nearly all the good schools are in the SEC and the big 12, you know, UCLA gets all the hype because they've got a direct line from the UCLA athletics department to Ellen DeGeneres' show. Right. (laughs) So every single UCLA floor routine ends up on Ellen and YouTube. That that direct line though is about to end because Ellen's show is about to end. I know that even in my own household. Yes. Yeah. But uh, the reality is UCLA hadn't even made nationals the last couple of years. Uh, And uh, the fact is the best teams are those Southern teams and Oklahoma. So the, the SEC, Oklahoma, and Utah, those are the stars. And the Listen reality to is- the depth and the breadth of John Lewis's power rankings in the gymnastics world, in the, in the latest yeah. gymnastics world of, of college athletics. I'm impressed at the end of the podcast oh. real quick. Hey, you know, I, uh, I watched quite a few things on TV and quite a bit of sports. So there you go. But, you know, the reality is that uh, there's, I mean, look, I mean, who, wh- what did the SEC get in the off season? They got the reigning champion uh, gold medalist, Suni Lee. She went to Auburn. She didn't go mm-hmm. to UCLA. She went to Auburn. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and, uh, you know, so the reality is that the SEC is a huge part of it. And the SEC is a draw, whether it's football whether it's gymnastics, people watch the SEC. That's why it gets all the money that it gets. All well said on that. I think we're pretty good here for another edition of the podcast. Uh, John, anything else in closing? We've covered various subjects here from the NBA to the United States Football League, some broadcasters and their situations, the NFL draft that's upcoming. Anything else or are we good? 
Uh, you know, I just want to note, you know, motorsports, I mean, viewership for everything is up, right? Uh, motorsports, though, NASCAR, IndyCar, and F1, all up double digits so far this year. And uh, we know that motorsports has had a profound decline over the years. But uh, certainly, some of that's probably Nielsen, but not all of it is. Same thing with the NBA. Same thing with everything else. You know, some of the growth is just Nielsen changing its methodology. And some of it is that maybe we're starting to see that sports audience recover a bit, not just from COVID, but, you know, from what had been maybe a prolonged kind of slide. Disruption of the routine, what you watch, when you watch it, what season, if it's in the wrong season, like you've uh, so well articulated on this podcast over and over again, you can't compare the same thing. So the routine is back. We all love the routine on that. I love the routine on this. We typically release early on in the week on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Uh, John, as always, thank you. Appreciate the time. Appreciate the takes. We thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. Follow him at Paulson underscore SMW, by the way, on Twitter. Find him at sportsmediawatch.com. Love the writings. I'm merely TJ Reeves. Again, follow or subscribe here on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts to the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. For now, we are good. Enjoy all the action in all these different sports. We're back next week for the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.